0: to the Indie Reformed podcast, an extension of the Indie Reformed Church Plant, a mission work of the United Reformed Churches in North America. My name is Austin Reifel, and I am serving as the church planting intern among the body here at Indie Reformed. As you know, if you've been following us, we've been gathering on Sundays to study the book of Ephesians, and as well as that study through Ephesians, one Sunday each month, the third, third Sunday that is, we look at or we take up the topic of worship, and in order to take up that topic, we've been looking through, we've been studying through the book entitled "What Happens When We Worship" by Pastor Jonathan Landry Cruz. And uh, this week, I have the pleasure of interviewing Pastor Cruz regarding this book. And uh, as a group, we've made it through chapters one through four, and so really focus in the interview on these big questions like, why is corporate worship the most? important thing the church is going to engage in, what is happening when we gather for corporate worship, some distinctions between corporate worship and private worship, and then also looking at the distinction between the sacred and the secular. And so I do hope that today's interview is helpful for you as you contemplate, as you think about a theology of worship, uh, which is, as Pastor Cruz and I will get into, a very important topic as we consider what it is that's happening when we gather on the Lord's Day for corporate worship. and. The hope really is that as Cruz argues in his his work, or really one of his his motivating factors of writing the book is that when we come to a deeper and more uh, rich understanding of what is happening at corporate worship, then that then drives our motivation for attending corporate worship with great excitement and confidence, knowing that God has promised to meet us there, and so it can it can instill confidence and uh, to where we know that God has promised to meet us there, and not only meet us there, but to also renew his covenant with us so as we come with our guilt and shame of the ways in which we have broken his law or our sin against a holy god we come and god comes not with our guilt but rather with his grace to assure us of the gospel promises that we've received and in through christ jesus our lord as his perfect righteousness has been credited to our account and we stand before god as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner but also as if we have lived perfectly as christ was perfect for us so that's what's happening at corporate worship is god is renewing those promises To us, And so how much more of an understanding or coming to this deeper understanding of what's happening at corporate worship, you can see how our motivation for attending corporate worship with great excitement and anticipation would naturally flow from a a deeper understanding of what's happening there. And so I I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation with Pastor Jonathan Landry-Cruz, and if any questions arise out of the discussion today, please feel free to email those to indireformed at gmail.com. And you can also uh, spread this episode through the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, interact with us a bit on the content, and we look forward to um, hearing from you. Uh, To that end, here's the interview with Pastor Jonathan Landry-Cruz. All right, well, this week we are joined by uh, Pastor Jonathan Cruz, and um, welcome, Pastor Cruz. It's great to uh, have you on the podcast as we uh, talk through this very important topic of, of worship. Uh, Pastor Cruz is a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, where he serves at Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, Pastor Cruz has also written several works, including The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. He's written, uh, written Hymns and Devotion, and also the book that we're uh, interested in today, What Happens When We Worship. So, Pastor Cruz, uh, thanks for, for uh, joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Austin. It's good to Get to know you a little bit and um, hear about the work there in Indiana, so hopefully we'll have a fruitful discussion today.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hope so as well. Um, as I mentioned before we started the recording, our, our group here at Indie Reformed has been greatly edified by your work, and, and have we, we've had to really contemplate some of these questions in, in re, uh, regards to worship and uh, the big question of what's happening when we worship and um, have found it to be a fruitful time of. Of studying together and also reflecting, discussing uh, what it is that's happening, and um, I think that it's really helped our group as we grow. As uh, we aren't yet meeting for public worship, but intending to do so, Lord willing, in the the coming uh, weeks and months. And so, uh, thank you again for your work and and how it's helped us uh, as a as a young church plant.
1: Mm, thank you.
0: Yeah. So, if you could start by just giving a bit of your background uh, background in uh, christian life and then also maybe pastoral ministry and and um and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, sure. I um I'm grateful to God that I've been raised, uh, or I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I grew up in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church where I'm a minister now. Uh we had a, a maybe 10 years of some wilderness wandering where we did some non-denominational stuff when I was younger, but um I uh, came back and profess faith in in uh, the reformed presbyterian context uh, when i was a young teenager and then um got into um uh, church more seriously when i was in college i went to temple university which is in center city um philadelphia and there i started attending worship um and became a member at 10th presbyterian church which is a historic um uh, presbyterian pca right uh, yeah, yeah church there with kind of a, um, reputation for solid preaching and and everything. So, uh, it was there that I actually felt the call to ministry. Um, some people suggested while I was still an undergrad, actually, that, that I should apply for their pastoral internship program, which I did. So my last two years of, of college, I was working, um, on the pastoral staff, mostly with the youth group, but I got to, you know, get to know, uh, a lot of the pastors there and, and right. really get kind of um, test out the waters in terms yeah. of my <laughs> teaching gifts and counseling, those kinds of things. And so, yeah. um, and that just confirmed that for me. So, so right. I thought, okay, well, I think ministry's uh, what, what lies ahead. And so that means seminary and I uh, looked at a, a number of seminaries and um, certainly felt um, a connection at Westminster in California, which uh, we, we have a shared history at, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, uh, I actually met my wife, uh, my last year of college and she's from born and raised in Philadelphia. So I thought, Oh, we're just going to have to go to Westminster, Philly yeah, then. Right. Right. Uh, seemed Cause like that's, a good fit, I guess. Yeah. It's nearby <laughs> and she's got family and stuff. And then right. I mentioned that I, well, there's this one in San Diego. I really like, she's like, Nope, we're going there. So, right. <laughs> yeah. so that worked out really well. And Carrie Ann, my wife, she actually worked the seminary the whole time we were there and we both just really got, um, invested in that community and great and, and um love the professors there and the students that we studied with um and then let's see the they uh, my the fall of my last semester around christmas break so right between my um the fall of my last year in between the the um start of the final semester um i was candidating for churches um and there was this small Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'd never heard of Kalamazoo. Never yeah. thought I'd want to live in Michigan. Right. Um, are you from? Are you from Indiana?
0: No, I'm from California, actually. So oh, you're from. Okay. Yeah, so, we had yeah. a similar when I was looking at the both Westminster's. I thought oh, I don't know if I want to go all the way out to Philly. Yeah, and right. hey, there's this one down in San Diego that's just you know right down so the you, road. So you
1: actually stuck with the one that was close to you. Huh?
0: I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. So, <laughs> right. Well, we we had this kind of feeling though as we were looking at churches. There was an option in. um, Pasadena that presented itself and we loved California. So we thought yeah. we'd do that. And the one place we didn't want to go was the Midwest, but we had just right. called Michigan and Oh, well, we should at least try it out. And,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Never say never to the Lord. And right. um, so yeah, so that was in
0: 2017.
1: Okay. And I've been here now for four years, um, or in my fifth year now. Right. And, um, yeah, the Lord has just really been blessing the uh, the work here and in addition to serving, um, in the pastoral ministry through preaching and, and shepherding um i've had a few opportunities that you mentioned to write which is yeah. been a, a great joy for me that's just something i've always enjoyed and, and loved right. um so having the avenues to do that's been uh really um beneficial and, and and good for me personally just to have that outlet yeah and i'm grateful that it falls into the hands of some people like uh starting up a <laughs> church in, in indianapolis that's right. exciting and yeah. um when i'm not doing those things, um, I'm I'm busy at home with my wife and um, we have two kids, uh, Jacob who's three and Evangeline who is one.
0: Okay. Wow. That's, that's really exciting. So you mentioned um, coming from the PCA being really sent to seminary through the PCA. How did you end up in the OPC?
1: Yeah. Well, so I, like I mentioned, I grew up in the OPC in my okay. home, OPC in college I was in yeah. the PC and that was a real, um, uh, uh, um, how should I put it? There was, I had to make, you know, this kind of fork in the road Uh, when I knew I was called to ministry. Should I come under care of the presbytery, uh, the the PCA presbytery in Philadelphia where I'm currently worshiping or in central Pennsylvania where I grew up, the OPC presbytery where, you know, where I was affiliated with since birth essentially. Right. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of um, uh, that was a really tough uh, probably six months or so. I was kind of um, thinking about that, but, the OPC had a um, they have a, a program for men considering ministry. It's called the Timothy Conference. Um, Doctor Van Drunen, who we have, actually serves on that, and okay. so I went that right at that time. It was yeah, asking the guys there, and that really just confirmed though that the OP was somewhere I felt a little bit more um, comfortable home. with and Yeah, Tenth yeah, is a wonderful church, but Tenth is also probably not your average um, PCA church, right? Right. And so um, what I what I felt confident was that um, I I although I love the PCA, I still do love the PCA. Um, I knew what the OPC would be and where she would be in 20 years. And I didn't feel like I had that same confidence in the PCA. Right. right. That was kind of the deciding factor for me. Okay. okay. Um, so I, so I, it was officially sent by my home church, even though you were, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, even though I had membership at, at 10th, it was kind of switched back and right. But yeah, good question. That, that was, that was a big, yeah, that was a big, um, uh, kind of crisis of deciding factor. Really. Yeah, I'm, I'm it really sure. was, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And and so, where did you end up worshipping then, um, out in Escondido?
1: Okay. Well, here it gets really confusing. We went to the URC in 17 with okay. Mike Brown. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have well, that's funny with, yeah. with all the um, um Park alphabet.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Well, for our listeners, um I didn't mention, but the the OPC is really a sister denomination to our denomination, the the URC. So. Uh, there's some affiliation there through uh, NAPARC. So uh, it's, it's uh, we have this working relationship. So good to <laughs> yeah. be able to collaborate in some ways.
1: Right, produced hymnal together, which yeah. I'm really proud
0: of. Right, uh, right. So, and I, yeah. I noticed your name on some of those. A few of them, uh, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and um, we actually, Mike Brown is a, a big part of that for, for those listening. And you might know now he serves as a missionary in Milan.
2: Yeah, right, right. Yeah.
1: At um, Christ, URC, in Santee, where um, Godfrey now is the pastor and kind of c- c- contacted the Salter Hindle people said, Hey, we really like these, you know, uh, here we sing them at St. Oh, Um, so, oh, that so that's how years. that,
0: that's how th- those made it in is through Mike Brown's uh, well, they were presenting already, them. And,
1: they, they were already considering them. Um, yeah. and it helped when they heard from a pastor who wasn't, I think it helped that they said, Oh, this is an OPC guy who wrote them but a urc pastor that likes them so they thought look it's the perfect that's what we're going for right
2: right yeah yeah that that helped a lot
1: and then um so we were there for two years and then the last two years of seminary i got a full-time um like kind of pulpit or i mean um, stated supply quasi-internship there was no pastor of a op church in temecula which is about 30 minutes north of escondido Right, right in between ministers and so i got to preach for them Um, almost every week for the last about a year and a year and a half, actually.
0: Oh man. I bet that was pretty uh, monumental in terms of your preparation for very formative. Very formative. Yeah. yeah.
1: I talked to the profs there because, you know, it was basically a full-time job. Yeah. Right. I said, look, you know, um, should I do this? And, And they almost all said, you know, your grades are really gonna suffer for this and you should do it because yeah, this is right. ministry is about This so. is this is a
0: means to an end. This is what you're yeah. preparing for in, in right, some exactly. ways. Exactly. They yeah, said this is more yeah.
1: important than you know, some of these uh exams we're gonna throw at you. So right. getting right. getting to be in the pulpit every week was so great. And uh, and I mentored with them. Um, they the church, um maybe this is more than you want, but the church appointed um since they didn't have a pastor, they asked John Fesco, who was Oh, there, yeah um systematics at the time to right. kind of mentor me so we would meet every week and go over sermons and stuff so that was just wow. so so helpful.
0: Yeah, wow, that that's great. And so had you been at that point considering so kind of transitioning now into the book what happens when we worship had you been thinking about this content um at what yeah. point did this kind of come onto your mind and you thought hey I ought to write a write a book about this and um yeah, tell me a little bit about the the background to the book.
1: Yeah, good question. Um the the what became a good portion of the first chapter I did uh I did write I think maybe my first or second year of seminary. Oh you did? Okay. Yeah. Um and then it sat for five years or so. Yeah. Um but it was Did you at it,
0: least use it for a paper or something and you got some I, some double uh, work out uh, of it?
1: S- Sunday school, I think I yeah, used it.
0: Okay. School. Yeah. Great.
1: Um but that was something I've always um had an well not always, but um uh, when I t- started to take church seriously. Yeah. I would say in college, um, like that kind of happened through, um, being drawn in, uh, through the, the, um, music ministry at 10th Presbyterian church with the minister of music there, okay. um, who really got me thinking about liturgy and right. liturgy, you know, and how the reformers were thinking about the worship service. So that was kind of my avenue into, um, um, church just it, it just like being kind of in, in rapture with the church and everything was talking about worship um specifically so yeah so i had a heart for that and i you know i got into hymn writing and things like mm-hmm. that so um but one of the things that struck me when i got to seminary was uh, even growing up in a reform context in the opc and some years in the pca when i got to seminary i realized there was so little i actually understood about the significance of what happens on Sunday. Yeah. Why we do certain things, why we don't do other things, um, and that it's not just tradition for tradition's sake. It can certainly become that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think even perhaps in my context, it was that, and that's why when I got to seminary, I didn't realize, oh, the Lord's Supper is more than just a bare memorial. Like I thought, we just, it just he says, do this in remembrance of me. Isn't that it? You know. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And so, just going through the motions my whole life, realizing, I wonder if there are other people like me out there. Who are grown up, reformed, or or um, uh, Presbyterian, and love the church and everything, but just have no idea why they do what they do. Right. And so that was that was my main impetus for writing it because there were probably ignorant people like me out there, and I I didn't want them to have to <laughs> have that yeah. kind of like um almost um almost uh did that sound come through?
0: It did, but d- don't worry about it all. Okay. Yeah. A nice edit. We'll get we'll, that in post. We'll take it out. Yeah. yeah right
1: let me say, um, I didn't want other people to have that kind of, um, almost embarrassing awakening that I had. Like yeah, my whole life in this church and I don't even know what she's about. So right. that was part of it. And then the other thing, I, the only other reason I wanted to write the, the book was for people who are entirely unfamiliar with the Reformed context. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, I was thinking about these things in seminary, but, um, when I got to Kalamazoo, it was, um, uh, the, first Sunday school series I taught there okay, um, was essentially about half of this book was that. And yeah. um, we've done it again for a couple of years and the book came out of that. But I, I just thought that's, and I told the people there and, and they still hear me say, but worship is the most important thing we do as a church. That's why it's going to be the first thing I talk about when I get here. And we're going to talk yeah. about it a lot. Yeah, um, So that's why I think it's great for a church plant context that this is, you know, you're, you're kind of shoring up your identity right. um, as as um, the people of God, yeah. There's a lot of things you can be looking at as a church plant, but I don't think there's anything more important than worship.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Then, why is worship, corporate worship, the most important thing that we're going to do um, as a body?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, as, as you guys have looked through the book, you know, I give essentially two answers to that I mean, two defenses for the claim that worship is the most important thing that we do yeah. as a church. Let alone as individuals. Um, and that the first is is the argument from internal design, right? We we're made for worship. We have hearts that are drawn to worship, uh, not necessarily God, <laughs> but yeah. just anything. Like we're just worship beings. And James K. A. Smith has a ton of stuff about yeah. this. He's a, a good um popular book, You Are What You Love, which right. I'd recommend. Kind of he unpacks all this. But um Romans. Uh, One, I think, is a a great place that um, draws this out where Paul's talking about
3: um, uh, fallen humanity. And he says uh, that um, Romans 1, uh,
1: 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Um, this is his in- indictment against humanity. It's not that yeah. um, uh, that we don't worship. We're supposed to worship. It's not that we don't worship. It's we worship the wrong thing. You know, In yeah. verse 18, we suppress the truth, and yet Worship isn't suppressed. <laughs> right. right. Uh, now we just worship the wrong thing. So we're made, to, we're made to worship. That can't be suppressed. We can suppress the truth all we want. We can exchange the truth all we want, but we can't exchange that impulse to worship. We can't yeah. suppress that. Um, so that's the, it's just kind of how we're made. Um, and then the eternal destiny is the other argument I use in the book, in that when you look at the church um, triumphant, Revelation, for example, um, uh, the church, I think, has three main tasks here on earth, right? We, we um, are to evangelize make disciples to edify, to build up and to, and to worship. And those first two fall away, right? We're not going right. to, we won't be evangelizing in the new heavens, the new earth. We, we won't be um, uh, having catechism classes anymore. Uh, <laughs> we will know as we are known and yet worship abides for. Our own. Yeah. Right. Right. So that, if, so if those two things are true, if we, if we, if we kind of grant, if you grant me those two points, right, that we're made for worship and we're remade for worship, that is, that's why we're saved because we're going to worship in eternity then it's something I think we should be good at, right? Something we should know what we're doing. We should, yeah. know, should know how to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Your, your point on Romans 1 was um, quite striking to me as I read the work and I thought of, because I'm, I'm following your argument and then you bring up Romans 1 and identify how these unbelievers who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness are still worshiping. And I'm right. um, just the very um, nature or us being made for worship and even as we are suppressing the truth we're still worshiping but it's that we're worshiping the wrong thing Um, i i thought that was a a striking point Um, i think
1: and i think it could be a good apologetic today um yeah you know in in michigan i don't know if you have these uh, where you're at but they're over they're all over the east coast and they're michigan um in this house we believe have you seen these signs i
0: haven't no no okay Maybe um, I have, but I just have not. Well, they,
1: they, they, they're written in, in the rainbow colors. Okay. Um, and it says, in this house, we believe. And then it says, they kind of change from house to house. But it, it generally would say things like, uh, we believe love is love. Um, Black lives matter. Yes, I have seen these signs. Right. Yeah, yes, right. yes, yep, Trans yep, yep. rights are human rights. Right? Yep, I got and, it. And, yep. you know, it's just struck me. I mean, and really, they're they're everywhere, especially if you go to um, anywhere in the East Coast, Pennsylvania, Virginia, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But in our neighborhood, they're just all over the place. And um, it struck me that that that's a creed, right? I mean, in this house, we. It sounds like you're starting the Apostles' Creed, right? Right. And so it shows us that that even um, even that those who are kind of in the grip of pagan idolatry, not that you go up to your neighbor and say that, but those who have completely suppressed the truth, as Paul puts it, they haven't. They haven't, and even though they would say that they have given up on religion, because you can almost imagine that everybody has that sign, thinks that that religion that they're very religious at heart right look i need to have this creed i need to declare something i need to have a belief system yeah. and so you just kind of you can um uh, draw that to its logical conclusion is that that they're religious at heart that means they're worshipers at heart that right, right now they're worshiping this um you know this false agenda that's coming from the cultural elites and, and, and the moral revolution um so i think it's a powerful apologetic to start with our uh, neighbors who show this impulse say like I, I, you know, I want a purpose too. I see it, you know, like I, I want to mean something. I want to I want to stand for something. I yep. want to give my life to something, just like you do. But I want it to be for something that matters and it counts and that's real. Right,
2: right, right. So
1: I don't think church is as weird as maybe we think it is to um, our post-Christian context. I think the idea of what we do in church is we see that all over the place. You know, you see it at CrossFit. You see it at on Amazon, whatever, even you know, people have yeah. all kinds of different worship centers that they go to, Right. but that impulse is there. It's on the surface. We just need to point it to people. No, you, you and I, we're the same. We both want to give our hearts to something.
0: Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really great point. And you, you brought up, uh, James K Smith's, we are what we love, or you are what yeah. we love. And I, you got into a little bit of that in terms of the cultural liturgies, but he goes through that whole yeah, right. uh, anecdotal really well. story of the mall and walking through this, you know, liturgical, yep form when you walk into the mall and the material possessions and such. And they, I think you're right. That's a, that's a really good point in terms of our apologetic to our unbelieving neighbors that um, they are also worshipers at heart. And you can point yeah. to these certain things that, yeah, that sign, we spent some time in, in Colorado and saw that sign everywhere, but I had not thought, sense, yeah. I had not thought of it as a, a creed in that way. Um, and yeah, that's a, yeah. Huh, so a our, yeah.
1: So our, our, our culture is, is, they're they're not shy about the fact that they are um worshipers or that they're religious they don't use those yeah. terms they don't realize it but they're they're i mean they're putting it in their yards
2: right they're, right. they're
1: almost in, they're almost inviting the conversation yeah yeah um and and you know as i talk about in the book the fact that we're all worshipers just kind of um heightens the the seriousness of of the need to worship the right thing because in yeah. scripture you know worship uh, it, it, we it's it's shown to us in scripture that we become what we worship we're mm-hmm. we're shaped into that which we worship um we reflect what we worship uh, right. and god's in uh his kind of um uh claim to israel uh, his his indictment against israel for the golden calf incident is that they're stiff necked like yeah. like a stubborn ox just like that calf you made now you're stiff necked too right right and the, you know psalm um i don't have the reference well psalm 115 that uh talks about how the idols are deaf and dumb and those who worship them or trust in them become like them. Right. Yeah. So our neighbors, it's like, Hey, you want to worship this thing? That's fine. You're going to become like it. That's, that's the scary part. Right. Yeah. Whereas when we worship God was, I mean, we become like him. Wow. Who wants to miss out on that?
0: (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. That's a, that's a really great point. And to your second argument, the eternal destiny um, as striking as Romans one was for me with the internal design um. So too was the this breakdown of the threefold mission of the church: evangelism, disciple making, and worship. And how you mm-hmm. showed that disciple making, evangelism are all a means to the end. In, in some ways, that we are evangelizing right. to bring people in, and then when we bring them in, we're discipling them. And in the context of the worship service, is where that discipling happens. And so I and, thought and that we're was discipling
1: a, to make them. Better worshipers, right? Yeah,
0: right, 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 right. So, so talk a little bit about that, or, or flesh that out a little bit for me, and how um, that is is to a a great because what I see in the church today at large, you know, I'm, I'm making a, a broad brush here, is that there's a lot of emphasis, a lot of focus on we need to go out and make disciples, we need to be um, evangelistic, we need to be missional. Missional is a very uh, you know a yeah. buzzword in some ways, and and not to say that they're undermining corporate worship, but I think that there's that risk that we could be undermining corporate worship if we are, aren't. Recognizing what we're doing those things for, um, yeah. would you have you seen that a bit as well? And was that some of the motivation for for making that eternal destiny um, argument?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's the motivation. i I like to think my motivation is simply that it's there in the. In the Bible, yeah. So I <laughs> right. Right. But, good. But good point. Yeah, but I mean, I have I seen it. Yes, I've seen that. Um. Uh. We have a family at our church that's coming from a context where they said um, that the church was all that, that their previous church was all about, um, evangelism, outreach, the loss, the loss, the loss, the loss so much so that it's like, does God matter even, you know, like yeah. isn't is church about him anymore. if It's right. just about, but it's always a balance because, you know, people in our circles then would, could be, um, liable to the claim that, that we're, we're so means of grace focused, you know, like word sacrament that we don't care about the world either. and And yeah. these, that's why we have to recognize that, although I'm giving a primacy of place to worship in terms of the threefold purpose of the church, they all go together. Um, and, and at least in this life, we can't, um, say that one, um, uh, like that the church should do one at the exclusion of the other.
2: Right. right, In in
1: the next world, the church will worship period. We won't be uh, evangelizing and, and, and all the rest, but, but here, Yes, worship is the most important, but the only way we get people to worship is, like you said, through evangelism, through um, uh, discipline, disciple making. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to say that it's so important that we don't do the other ones. If you're not um, evangelizing, you're not getting worshipers. If you're not worship- worshiping, then your evangelism doesn't matter.
2: Right, right.
1: Um, and the other thing I was going to say is, you know, talked about missional, being missional minded, which is a buzzword. Um, and that that can be, you know, when when we're talking about being mission minded, then that that can usually mean we're favoring the the Great Commission um, exhortation to go versus the make disciples and to teach and to baptize. Yeah. Right. Um, my my answer to that would be to look at what's God's mission. Um, we want to be missional in the way that God is missional, and His mission is. To find worshipers, you mm. know, and Jesus says that to the woman at the well in John 4. Yeah. Um, the hour is coming when the Lord is seeking, seeking uh true worshipers.
2: Yeah,
1: right. People who right. worship him in spirit and in truth. And so that's God's mission. That's what he's after. Why does Christ come to earth to redeem people from their way of sin and death to mm. serve the living God, to serve him? Right. Right? We're saved to serve. That's God's mission. We're we're saved to worship. So um, yes, I want us to be missionally minded, but in the way that God is.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great point. And, and both of those two together, I think, are a, a good defense of why why corporate worship would be the most important thing that we do. And so with that, then, you know, the the big question that is on our minds is, OK, so if it is the most important thing that we're doing. Um what what's happening there? you know and and that's kind of the the crux yeah. of your argument and the the <laughs> entire book, but talk to me a little bit about what what's going on when we come and gather for worship and um yeah we'll, we'll start with that question and then yeah move from i'll there. give you
1: I'll give you a brief answer and then you let me know if you want to expand yeah on it. But, right um yeah, kind of the whole impetus of the book is to show people that when we worship, we're meeting with God. That's the short answer and yeah. it's it's brief but it's profound. And just to bask in that reality, I think would transform the way that most people think about church. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If we really got what that means. So, what is happening when we worship? We're meeting with the living God. Like, we're actually engaging with him. He's engaging with us. We're encountering him. Yeah. Uh, So, that's, that's the foundation that, you know, what happens from there? Well, that's the whole book, right? There's so (laughs) (laughs) so many, but, but that's, that's the foundational thing that, that's happening is that we are, we're having a, a, um, a meeting an encounter a conversation with the god of the universe hmm.
0: but can't we do that outside of the the public worship setting and why why place such emphasis or primacy to corporate gathering
1: yeah that's a great question and um a common objection to. Right. <laughs> no, it doesn't, that put, aren't we putting God in a box, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, no, we can never put God in a box, but sometimes God puts himself in a box. Uh, what, and that, okay, that sounds a little um, audacious, but what I, <laughs> or, <Yeah. laughs> what I mean by that is that um, uh, God sets the terms of how we engage with him. Yeah. Um, and if he says that the way that, the, the primary way in which you'll meet with me is in my house on my day with my people, then we're not limiting God. God has said, no, I'm setting that limit. And I think that's what we find in scripture. So that's, that's kind of my answer. You know, can't we meet with God um, anywhere? Well, our doctrine of, you know, um, the the omnipresence of God, his immensity, he fills all space, all time. Of course. Yes. I mean, I don't want to live. I don't want to live in a world where, where I say, no, you actually have to go to a particular destination um, to to meet with, uh, to, to to experience God's presence. Um, and, and scripture, uh, clearly says that's not true. You know, Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? Right. If I descend into the depths of shale, even your
3: our doctrine,
1: objection. If people say, are you, are you saying that, you know, you can't, you can't encounter God anywhere. No, we're not saying that, but, right. um, I can, I can run into my doctor anywhere. I can run into my, my physician at the grocery store, um, at the shopping mall, um, on a jog, right? He, he right. can be anywhere and I can, but if I want a need, like if I got something wrong with me and I, I need a visit right? I, I schedule an appointment yeah, right. and I see him at his office.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's, right.
1: that's kind of a corollary to what's, what worship is. Yeah. Um, that's where, that's where we um, meet with God in a most special way. Yeah, is He everywhere? Yes, by His Spirit He is in me, so He's with me on my commute. He's with me, you know, um, when I wake up, when I when I lie down. But that special time, that that kind of a devoted time where we get to know each other, <laughs> if yeah. I can put it like that. Right. He has ordained that that is on His day in His house with His people
0: yeah that's a that's a great point and has been very helpful for me as i've you know I didn't grow up one didn't grow up in the church but then also wasn't exposed to the reformed faith until uh, later in you know my my Christian life it wasn't until about two years before seminary that I came upon this or it came upon me rather you know the reformed faith and mm-hmm. and reformed worship and such and uh, the the whole idea of uh, primacy to corporate worship was uh, quite hard for me to grapple with because I was in the world uh, yeah. or the culture of you know private Bible study, hearing from God directly. And so this idea of, of meeting God where he's promised to be has brought great confidence and um, security to the Christian life, knowing that God has told us that he'll be there. And you don't have to right. go searching for him in places that he hasn't promised to be, which is what I did for several years. And it often ended in, in great distress and Worry, not knowing did I did I have an encounter with God today or not? And it really ended up being my emotions that day, right? If I was feeling like I had a good day or not, then on the good days I met with God, and on the bad days I wasn't devoted enough, um, which is so detrimental to the Christian life.
1: Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't say better myself, Austin. That's that's exactly the idea. It's meant to engender confidence. This idea, it's not. It's not. This isn't bad news,
0: right? (laughs) This is really
1: good news that you don't need to go looking for him. It's like you know where he is.
0: Yeah, right, right. That's so. How would you then, um, or maybe how have you helped your people to understand those like me who have come out of a a world of you know quiet time, private devotions, and such? Not that those things are bad or wrong, but if the emphasis is placed there, there could be some, um, you know, some a a lack of confidence. How have you helped people to see that this is what God's word, in fact, says—the the primacy of corporate—and how that does bring confidence? Have you? Have you noticed that you mentioned that when you first got to your your charge at Kalamazoo, you went into this content what was this new for people in the reformed faith or was it um, just truing up some things that they already knew or had they fallen into maybe some um placing primacy in the wrong place um in, in some ways or yeah. maybe speak to uh, your your personal experience in um the life of a pastor when you're engaging with this content?
1: yeah, that's a difficult question um I think when I was initially teaching it, when I've revisited it since then, we have people in every one of those categories, right? People yeah. who are yes and amening everything I say. Other people thought, oh, I never thought of it like that, but that makes sense. Or or I couldn't quite articulate it like that, but I knew yeah. it, you know?
2: Right, right. Um,
1: then other people who are thinking, wow, I really missed this. I got to change. And then then you still have others who are saying, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, you know, it's just because I write a book on it doesn't mean that everybody in my church does what I would love them to do. You, yeah. You'll learn that as a pastor. Um, <laughs> and which sometimes is a good thing cuz yeah. right, we're not infallible, but right. um you know I, I still hear certain things that make me cringe like oh yeah we weren't there on sunday cuz we had a game to go to kind oh, of yeah ah, right yeah. <laughs> um or sunday evening's not that important because or it's it's not that it's sunday evening's not important it's just that's our family time you know right. that kind of thing yeah um and so you know you just you, you keep preaching the same message over and over again um talk about the importance of worship which we already did through kind of what scripture reveals about our design and our destiny.
2: Yeah.
1: Um uh I have a section in the book that, that quotes from Psalm 87 which says the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob, which shows God has a preference for the, the assembly, the gates. Yeah. Um in our individual homes. Also we did a sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent which which really brought this out week in, week out. There's 15 Psalms there, uh 120 to 134, which are all about, they're the songs that the pilgrims would sing as they were making their way to church, really, corporate worship, heading to to Jerusalem for these feasts, right? Right. And so you think of uh, Psalm 122, um, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house Mm. of the Lord. Not let me go, right? But like, let us. And all those Psalms are in this kind of plural context, this corporate context. Um, And and that's just one example. The whole Psalter is, though, filled with, you know, standing, in the assembly, right? Yeah. Language of the assembly.
2: Right.
1: And again, what does in Psalm 84, my, my soul faints for the courts. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, So I, you know, any, any time that, that um, scripture speaks to the corporate nature of worship, I draw this out about the importance of it. Um, We've been preaching through Exodus or working through Exodus. And I was just preaching through the tabernacle and did a sermon on the, the courtyard. Yeah. Why do we even have it? What's the point of the courtyard, this outer perimeter? And kind of my main point was, you know, it was created to fill the masses of people that would come to observe and participate in these services. Cause God wasn't just happy with the prayer closet. He needs the right. courts, in, you Yeah.
2: Know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so emphasizing these things. And I think God is blessed that, you know, we've seen certain people growing in it, but it's, it's just a really hard thing to give up in our, um, our individual um, self-centered culture that we live in, where everything's kind of consumeristic, feeds our needs. Yep. Um, and so that we're still working on that. So if you have any answers, I'm, I'm really eager to hear.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm also thinking through it. And, and I, I think what you do, you're apologetic, if you will, at the beginning of the book, how you basically state that a better understanding of what's happening gives us great excitement. Yeah. And, and then you begin to ask the question: Where else would I rather be? Exactly. And and so and but that's that's where you get that a uh, heart motivation, if you will, to to be in no other place but the presence of God as He's called His corporate assembly. And from that conviction, I think is is but but showing that this is what God's Word actually says to those who are so entrenched in the individualistic prayer closet meeting with God way of thinking. That's where the challenge, you know, comes yeah. because they are having these spiritual experiences in some ways and and they seem to be getting filled up by them. And so they, they undermine the corporate gathering in, in, in some ways. Right. So that, absolutely that's where right. the struggle and is.
1: The, uh, the whole heart changes where it has to be. And, and so, you know, like when I do member interviews, new member interviews, I talk about the importance of morning and evening worship and, and, you know, morning isn't usually a hard sell. People are they're right. ready to come. Uh, and evening can be for some people. And I say, look, we're not gonna say you can't join if you don't come in the evening. You're not gonna be put under church discipline if you don't go in the evening. So I never tell people you have to go. I say, Yeah. My whole point is for you to get to a place where you say, Why wouldn't I want to go? Like, right. like you like you just mentioned. And I think we've um I I've seen that that kind of um switch been flipped for some people. It's yeah. taken sometimes it takes a long time. Right. Um, right. But you know, if if they understand, for instance, you know, if you guys continue to go through the book, you'll you'll start to get the different ser- uh, aspects of the service. Yeah. You know, I have a chapter. I have a whole chapter on the benediction, which is, you know, a, a 10, 15 second part of the service. Right. But uh, my argument would be that if you understood what happens in those 10 seconds, that in and of itself is worth the whole time. Like, yeah, I'm going right. to go to church tonight. <laughs> just get that. Just so yeah. that I can hear the benediction. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, God gave me a blessing um, at the ten a.m. service, but He's going to give me another one. Why wouldn't right. I want
2: to? I'll be there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'll be there. Right, yeah, and I, yeah. and I want them to feel that about about every step of the service. That each one of the and we call it the, the worship is the means of grace for a reason. Like yeah. I, this is God feeding you from His sufficiency in Christ. Like yeah. this is this is what you need. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so yeah,
0: yeah, and I also think on the other hand, you do a really good job at bringing some, you identify that putting primacy here, corporate worship, isn't negating the fact that to grow in the Christian life, there is private worship that we engage in, you know, private reading and prayers and family worship and such. So tell me a little bit, how how do you view the relation between corporate and private worship? And Mm -hmm. um, how do you ensure that you don't um, throw private worship out altogether?
1: Very good. Yeah. Again, it's that balance, right? If we can be so means of grace centered that we forget about evangelism, we can be so Sunday centered. We forget about Monday through Saturday. Yeah. Um, I, um, at least, I mean, in the book
3: that happens the rest of the, the rest of the week, that corporate worship is meant to, to kind of in Inform, yeah, and to uh, our. Uh, I'm hoping when people say we, um, they're learning how to,
1: right? So yeah. our services are filled with prayer. Uh, we have prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession, prayers of lament throughout, punctuated throughout the service. Um, we're here, men of God. You know, the elders participate in our, in our service at our church. We get to hear different men of God um, intercede, go to the throne of grace, and we hear how how scripture is informed in their prayers and, and, you know, the ways in which they do it. And we can learn from these people just by sitting under their praying and, and, and praying with them that way so yeah. that now, um, okay, it's family worship time and I have to pray. And I never really prayed before, not out loud or, or whatever. You know, it's always just been, God, help me with this, help me with that, and help, you know, Aunt Matilda with right, her, right. you know. Toe issue or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh wait, now I, I, I've i been hearing these men using God's words back to him, and, and, and you know, I hear how I never pray about my my own sin or yeah. or whatever. So that's one way I think corporate worship informs private worship. Uh, besides learning how to pray, I'm really hoping, primarily hoping, we're learning how to read our Bibles. Yeah, and so that so that um, when we're opening up the scriptures with our privately or with our families, it actually makes a little bit more sense to us. Um, we're given a better idea of how, how the scripture is the one unfolding story of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. So now I'm going to situate our our family. We're working through, you know, maybe it's first Samuel right now. And now I'm starting to see how David is actually teaching me about Jesus. Yeah. Um, where, you know, if I wasn't sitting under a Christ centered preacher, um, or Christ centered exposition every week, I would think this is all about me, me, me,
0: you know? Right. Right.
1: So I think those are some ways in which, um, sunday informs monday through saturday
0: yeah i I like the idea of informing um would you say that i've often spoke of it as a a motivating so um corporate worship motivates our private worship or it is an overflow and i think you you had quoted dr horton as well when he's maybe it's the more of the informing um aspect but would you say there's also a some sort of spiritual motivation that? Sunday corporate gathering is meant to um, then spur us on throughout the rest of the week in our own private worship.
1: I think that, I think that's a good way to put it, especially if we think about um, the, the benediction again, I'm trying to see if I have a bulletin laying around um, at our, in our context. um, Let me pull one up. So read it for your people Um, at the bottom of the bulletin at the end of the service. I put this little line in because the benediction is not just God bless you, but he's, he's sending you, right. He's commissioning right. you. Um, and so we have this, this little note, it just says, while gathered worship has ended service to Christ continues, let us go forth in the power of the spirit to love and serve the Lord. Right. So it's this idea, like you said, you're, you're being spurred on. So you're receiving all uh, from this overflow of God's goodness. Now, what am I going to do with it? You take that. Now you serve him. And, and um, uh, certainly that means through, through um, your private and, and family worship yeah. throughout the week, in any num- <laughs> another any other number of ways as well. But yeah. that idea of of you're kind of you're given a little push at the end of the Sunday service, right? Right hey, now, let's let's go, let's do this. So yeah, yeah I think that yeah. motivation's a, a perfectly um, apt term to use.
0: Yeah, and that kind of reorients in our way of thinking, typically in the individualistic culture, anyways, is that uh, we we are more inclined to think that our private worship is motivating our, our desire to come to public. And maybe there is some, maybe there is a, a little bit of push and pull as as you're getting later in the week and you're, you're, you're longing to come back to corporate worship, but um, really the primacy seems to be placed on the private. And if I could just tack on the corporate um, then, Oh, maybe that, that would be good too. But what, where I really need to meet with God is in my prayer closet. So that kind of reshifts our way of thinking that, no, it's, it's the corporate that's the driving engine behind our, our private times with God in, in some way. So I, I think that's really helpful um, And in, you in know, another problem,
1: I, another problem I think we see a lot today is um, even people that are faithful churchgoers are actually using church... Um, uh, they're kind of like co-opting the public ministry of the church to fill their private worship needs. Interesting. So like they come, they sit in the back, they don't talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, they dash out afterwards. You know, they're not really involved in the life of the church, which can't happen in a church plant setting, by the way. So yeah. if you guys are listening to this. You all need to be involved. You all need to be praying for Austin. What and he said. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, coming to the different outreach events, coming to the Bible studies. Uh, but that's true. Even when the church gets established, I mean, it's really Impressed upon him in the church plane context, but we forget that once it's established, we think this thing's running. Yeah. You know, and look, I can come and I can get a good devotional from God's word, and now uh, you know I'm kind of set for the week. Yeah. um And that actually, that kind of that perverts the nature of corporate worship. It's you are just coming and you're kind of leeching off of. Yeah. um The corporate worship, but for it to be corporate, really, it's not just that you're there with other people, but you're worshiping with other people, and that they matter to you, and that you're the people sitting next to you in the pews or the chairs or whatever. Our 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 picture of of God's grace to you and you yeah. to them and then you want to serve with them throughout the week and and all the rest. So, um, so not only is you know is the issue that we just maybe emphasize the private uh, private worship throughout the week or just you know the just curl up in my chair with my coffee and my Bible or whatever. But I think it's also even for churchgoers sometimes to use that mindset and and kind of impose that upon what happens on Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's a. That's an interesting thought experiment. I have I've not uh, thought of it in that way. I, I think that's really helpful, and it it reminds me of a section that you have um, later on in the book. But I, and I, you use the term linger, but maybe you call it learn to linger or something yeah, right, like that. Correct, yeah. And and I thought that that was just a really great because I mean, for for some it can be awkward to just linger around after the corporate yeah. worship um, service, but I think that that's a great. Way of looking at it is that I have to learn how to do this for the sake of of myself, but then also the body. That this is a right. corporate gathering, and and you lingering after, and and that's that's the context in which you are learning the needs of your neighbor, sharing your needs right. with others. You're bearing with them as as they're bearing with you. Um, it seems like that would be impossible if you aren't learning to linger.
1: Exactly, we can't do it without you. That's what people. We all need to hear that. Um, yeah. That God says, you know, through the way He builds His church. Um, is that, that he gives his spirit to each and every one of us. You know, um the spirit has a portion to each, his gifts and and all these things, First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, um, Ephesians four, um, that that God gifts his church through individuals, but not for them to then use it like hold it to themselves. We have to come together. And the way that God builds his church is through yeah. that coming together aspect. Um so yeah, the church can't do it without you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good way of, of looking at it. And you know, something that, that comes up in this regard as well, and something that you got into in the book, is the, the sacred-secular distinction, and we, we find ourselves in this context where you often hear the phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious, and yeah. so in, in that regard, everything has become sacred, right? Yeah. Everything has been turned into the sacred, uh, but maybe you could also think of it in the way that everything has become um, secular in some ways. In other words, the, the regard for coming to a sacred place to worship has been um, undermined by everything now becoming secular or in the, the other way, everything becoming sacred. So have you found that to be an obstacle when you are, say, giving this Sunday school class that you've noticed that people have turned everything into sacred or everything into the secular? I mean, how have you engaged with that, um, that way of thinking?
1: Yeah, it's kind of that idea of everything, if everyone's special, no one is. Right, right? yeah,
0: Yes. Yeah,
2: right.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I, I'm just trying to think anecdotally, anecdotally if I've received much pushback on that idea in my context. Um, I'm not sure that that I have, although um, it, it just, it goes, there, there's certainly a... a corollary or an overlap between this idea and the private versus public idea yeah right right right. um and so the people who want to claim that the private's enough are those who claim everything's sacred yeah um and so i mean god discriminates and that that always rubs people the wrong way Um, and he you know he discriminates between goats and sheep he discriminates between holy and profane common and and um sacred and so There are certain things that in God's um, design, his schema, that are just more special than other things. (laughs) (laughs) And we just kind of need to stomach that and be okay with that. And then just say, I'm not the one who gets to decide what is special. You know, God does. And I want to pursue after that.
0: Yeah, I think that you really help us to understand that by working through. I mean, it, all of scripture really testifies to that, that idea, right, that God discriminates especially in terms of his holy place, you know, how how he sets up the place in which he meets with his people. And then oftentimes the the thought is, well, in the new covenant, all of that is thrown out the window, but I think that you do a helpful job to show that no the in the new covenant, the the place in a sense uh, becomes spiritual uh, that we aren't having to go to a particular Location and uh, and really you show how or the the how you say is Jesus mm-hmm. and the place is heaven and so you show this shift that it's no longer the physical tabernacle but rather we're gathering with the saints still gathering corporately in a particular place that's you know um, designed or or set up by the um, the church officers and such but now the place that we're worshiping is is heaven uh, which is really fascinating to think about because if we understood that then we would also be asking the question where else would i w- rather be um if i can right. go and i can join the the heavenly saints in this uh, worship of our triune god so can you talk a little yeah. bit about you know the place is heaven um expound on that a little bit for me
1: yeah well that's um that's straight from uh, hebrews 12 yeah right <laughs> so uh it says uh, hebrews 12 beginning verse 18, um, you've not come to what may be touched, the blazing fire and darkness and gloom. And that idea of Mount Sinai, right? That's, that's how you will come to used to wor- worship. Uh, that's not how it works anymore. You've come to Mount Zion, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels and in festival gathering to the assembly of, um, the, uh, those who are enrolled, the firstborn who enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, um, and spirits of the righteous made perfect. So I mean that that is heaven right where are the spirits of the righteous made perfect that's right. not here right yeah um uh where are the the angels in festival gathering that's not here that's heaven so how is it that we come to this place um hebrews makes it very clear that uh, the only way we um get close to god in any sense is through jesus um through faith in him uh and through his blood that we've been sprinkled with his blood therefore we are made um, uh we're we're now uh, equipped to, to yeah. enter into the heavenly gate we're we're um qualified That's yeah was, we're qualified so obviously there's no magical trans- transportation that happens like to before our eyes at church yeah. right right um, which is why you can go your whole life like i did um just thinking that church is just something you do it's just part of the routine it's just you know you follow the motions yeah. But when you learn that there's an invisible reality, a spiritual reality that's taking place, that um, you are in God's presence, not so much so that he comes down to us, but even more so really that he's bringing us up to him. Yeah. Um, then, okay, now I'm paying attention. <laughs> right. Now, you know, now, now I want to be there. Now I'm going to be there on time. Now, yeah. um, you know, I'm not going to um, sacrifice Sunday for other things that are competing in my calendar. Yeah. Um. So that that's how that's how it happens, though, is it's through um, faith in in Jesus Christ. uh, there's another line in uh, uh, Hebrews that says, um, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Um, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. So, how can we get to the throne of grace? Well, the two verses before just said Jesus yeah. is the one who passed through the heavens. He's there. And so, if you have him, if you are in him, you're there too. Yeah. Um, so, it's because the man of heaven, um, it's because by faith we're in the man of heaven that we can say we're also in the, the mansions of heaven, we're in the worship places of heaven.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. On Sunday. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. We're, we're studying Ephesians, as I mentioned as well. So in, in uh, tandem with this book and Ephesians 2, Paul says that we've been made alive. We've been raised with Christ. We've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so it's been nice to be able to make that point of heavenly worship and then look at see, to see what Paul is saying in relation to us being seated with Christ and see, say that this isn't a foreign idea to the new covenant. It's in fact what the, the New Testament authors are, are pointing us to time and time again, that there's this um, heavenly reality that we've been drawn up to by the spirit through faith uh, which is a yeah that's a fascinating way of thinking of yeah. of yeah. corporate yeah. worship good. gathering and such yeah so really the the last section that i want to get into if you could tell me a little bit about this us coming to corporate worship as a covenant renewal and i know that you are going to basically that's the rest of your book in terms of breaking open what that covenant renewal looks like but for those that aren't maybe familiar with corporate worship as covenant renewal um, can you mm-hmm. just give a bit of a um, exposition, if you will, on uh, sure. what this means?
1: Yeah, um I'll try to keep it really simple. So um, a covenant is a relationship, um, and God enters into um, relationships with his people in scripture, which is um, always covenantal than a dealing. it's it's a it's a binding relationship. Sorry, I should go back and say covenant's a binding relationship. Um, it's established by promises and and commitments and so um we have a we're in relationship with god in christ uh there's a there's a covenant right we're we are his and and he is ours um the idea of covenant renewal comes up in in the old testament a number of times um after israel who has this relationship this binding relationship with god breaks it yeah. right again we're in exodus and they um <laughs> you know, the golden calf and what does Moses do immediately breaks the, the two tablets of stone to signify what they've just done. You've broken your relationship with God, God's gracious. And afterwards, what do we have a covenant renewal ceremony? Mm -hmm. We're going to do this all over again. You're going to hear the law again. We're going to do the sacrifices again. Um, and this just comes up again and again, um, uh, in scripture where, um, when the people have, have forsaken their God or have, um, Been faithless in their relationship with Him, God returns to them and says, "Look, you—you have plenty of reason to think that I would just um, cast you off and have nothing to do with you anymore. Um, But I I want you to know that even when you're faithless, I'm faithful. And so let's do this whole thing again, just so that you know. It's not because I'm making a new promise to you. You know, I make the way God is is like He makes one promise. That's all we need. (laughs) But you need to hear me make it again. Yeah." Okay, so then you fast forward to, to our time, and well, I just read in Hebrews 12, it says the mediator of a new covenant. So we, that covenantal uh, structure or, or terminology is still appropriate even yeah. today, right? We right. don't say, no, that's just Old Testament stuff. No, it says, no, there's, it's a new, it's a better covenant, but it's still a covenant. Like We still can learn from the covenants, or yes. I'm sorry, from, from the covenantal dealings in the Old right. Testament for, for how we work with God today and have and, and relationship with him today. And just like Israel, we're faithless. Every week we're faithless. And and every week we could have reason to think, you know, this Sunday, he might not show up, mm. right? Because he yeah. said, you know, you broke those, you broke my, um, uh, that relationship. You you kind of cast me off. So why should I be there for you? And yet right. every week he does show up and it's to meet us with his grace, not with our guilt, yeah. uh, his grace. And to remind us or renew, here's the idea of renew, renew right. the promises that he has made. Um, you know, in eternity past, we could even say he made this promise to redeem us, um, not a new promise, but he reminds us that it's still for us. And so that's another reason we need worship so badly because, because I'm such a bad sinner, (laughs) I need to be told all the time, (laughs) all the time that God's a greater savior than I am a sinner. So, um, that's kind of the idea of covenant renewal. It's a reminder. Worship is a reminder to us, um, that the relationship that we fracture all the time, um, in our faithlessness, God c- continues to uphold. He keeps yeah. his end of the bargain. He's faithful, even though we're faithless. So that's that's what worship is 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 driving home to us.
0: Yeah, what a wonderful thought as well, as we consider coming to worship that, like you mentioned, the, the keen awareness of our sin against a holy God, that we continually break um, his law, yet we know and we can be confident that That's where he renews this covenant with us, not to meet us with our guilt, as you said, but with his grace. And that is very exciting to know that God does this on a consistent basis, week in and week out, and again, really just lends to this whole idea that what is happening on on the Lord's day in worship is the most important thing we're ever going to do. And um, it's is motivating to us to then be asking the question of, of where else would I rather be? So as we kind of wrap up, then I've got a, a um, pastoral question for you, um, maybe directed more towards our, our core group as we begin to look forward to corporate worship in our future. How, what are some ways that you would encourage, and you get into this in the book as well, which I thought was helpful. What are some ways that you would encourage someone in their preparation? For Lord's Day worship, should we be thinking about preparation, and what what might that look like? How would you encourage one as they're going through the week in their preparation for for Lord's Day worship?
1: Um, well, yes. First, you should be preparing. You must be preparing. Um, before you and I met today, you sent me a, a nice little outline of the kind of questions we'd go over, and last night, for no offense, Austin, maybe for sixty <laughs> seconds, I looked it over. Um, and so if you're
0: unprepared, it's on it you. Then only required
1: 60 seconds. Because... <laughs> right. yeah. It's exactly right. But my point being that, you know, I even, prepared for this. It was a little, yeah. but I thought, you know, if I'm going to talk to this guy, I want to know what he's going to ask me. Yeah. Um, but you're just Austin, you right. know, you're not God. <laughs> and, Thank you for the reminder. I needed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your people need to hear that too. Yeah, he's not they God. do. Um, But we know that just innately, the more uh, important or um, weighty the meeting is, the more we'll prepare, right? Yeah. Job interview, you're going to prepare a lot more um, than if you're just, you know, meeting uh, uh, to um, go over some mundane thing at the office that you've been at for 15 years, you know, checking in with your coworker about something. So uh, can you think of a, a, um, a more... Um, intense and more significant, more profound meeting than to to say you're going to meet with God. So, no, we can't. So, therefore, we should prepare. That's just my little anecdote for you. Yeah. (laughs) If you prepare for the little things in life, we prepare for the big things. Um, and scripture gives us reason to do that. And you can read my book for the places where it says that. Um, what was the other question then?
0: Yeah. What are maybe some ways that we can be preparing?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well you guys know that 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 what you're going through which is great. So Austin wants to to do a expositional um lectio continua as the fancy latin phrase, right? continual reading. So you know you're going through Ephesians each week. Yeah. You don't need to be surprised um and so since you know that I would um say that 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 you should be. Now I'm talking to the people. I just realized I've just switched yep. my. Is that okay? That is okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then you and, guys. And if be... it's not, they have
0: nothing to say about it because it's already happening. So <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> go, right. Go, go. right. Go right well, on there. I was ahead.
1: gonna say you should be. You should be uh, reading the passage before and then praying over it. Um, and also when when you read, let's say, okay, we're going to be doing Ephesians four this, you know, on the 29th. Uh, and so you, you read it throughout the week, or maybe Saturday night. but As you read it, then you think to pray for Austin. You know, yeah, he's the one who's been studying this all week, and. And it's not that it's not just that, um, I'm praying for him that, that he does well and that he says what's true, but it's that it's, it's almost like you're praying for your own benefit. If Austin doesn't get up and do what he's (laughs) supposed to do, then you, you miss out. (laughs) So so when we pray for our pastors, we do it in a sense, selfishly, but it's not selfish, but we do it because you know, that he is God's instrument to, to benefit me through his word. So of course I'm going to pray for him. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else in your context in terms of preparing for worship, Um, because I, you know, are you guys, um, are you going to be singing and stuff like that? Do you, do you prepare bulletins or what? What do you? I need to know a little bit more about what it looks like. Yeah,
0: yeah, Uh, we do. We are going to be singing. Um, There is a bulletin prepared. I have not at this point sent that bulletin out prior, and I know that some some congregations will do that. That way, the people can know what they're going to be singing and even. Begin to sing that in family worship or, or uh, yep. somewhat, in preparation. So uh, that's actually a good, good thought um, for me to be active in sending out the bulletin before yes. Sunday morning, and that way we, they know what's coming.
1: We put it on our website every Thursday night. Oh, you do? Um, okay. Yeah. And do your people know about this? Do you know about this?
0: Yes, I've been. So. Uh, that's been a great help to us as we've been meeting in the home and singing from the Psalter hymnal uh, using the tunes that are there and uh to accompany our, our singing. So um have been plugging that app there and trying to get the yeah, people Yeah, because if to if, get that. if they
1: know that oh, what they're gonna sing on Sunday and they haven't heard it now it's real easy to listen to the tune beforehand. Right. Um well do you guys um well you don't meet for worship yet and so you haven't had the Lord's supper.
0: Right. Yeah and we won't yeah. for some time and so for, that's because, yeah. But how how um, far
1: are you gonna are you gonna be getting ministers to come in to to do certain things or yeah.
0: So the uh, ideally what would be uh, really great because we aren't able to partake of the supper until my ordination, which will be next spring. And then also once we ordain um, at least uh, one um, elder. And, but in the meantime, there is, for instance, the, um, our church down in Cincinnati can come up and administer the supper. In fact, we had a a couple of services back in January where they called the services and then they administered the sacrament. So Though we aren't partaking on a regular basis, like um, I would really like to be, sure we can still be thinking about what's happening there, um, and that way, when the um, other church does come up to administer, then we have a good understanding of what's going on. My
1: recommendation would be uh, to look at what the Westminster Larger Catechism says about what it means to prepare for the Lord's Supper, okay, and um, to use that um, as a means of preparing every week, whether you're having the supper or not, because. The supper is just kind of a wake-up call to, in terms of preparation, a wake-up call for w- what we should be doing all the time in terms yeah. of a right heart with God and, and a right heart with our fellow worshipers. And so yeah. um, it's not like we can shirk on our responsibilities of holiness or or um, peaceful living with others until we have the Lord's Supper. Right. It's just, it's such a serious and solemn event that it causes us to really think about it. But um, I, I think, you know, and that's one of the reasons why some churches, you know, um, are big advocates of weekly Lord's supper. Cause that kind of preparation we should have every week anyway. Right. right. So, um, you guys don't need to wait until Cincinnati's providing the supper till you're ordained to, to be preparing in the way that you would be. Um, if the supper's there, cause I think every church should do that every week anyway. So that, yeah. uh, reading over that catechism, it has a wonderful, um, few clauses that, you, you know, I'm just gonna work on this clause this week. Like, you know, yeah. one of them's like, um, you know, growing in my union with Christ. Let's just think about that this week. Um, right. so things like that, 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 um, you guys could just meditate on would be a suggestion for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting, getting good sleep on Saturday night, not, not staying out late. Um, be boring on Saturdays. I say, Yeah. you know, don't party with your friends or go to a late movie or something like that. Right. My family, we set out the clothes for the kids and for the adults, me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, on Saturday night, I, you know, I don't want to wake up and try to figure out which bow tie I'm going to put on. So. Right, right. so those are all, those are all some practical tips for yeah for getting ready
0: yeah i really appreciate the the practicality of go to bed early and don't be rushed on sunday morning I, I think those are just two ways that um we can certainly implement some margins if you will in our lives to to help us uh, remove some obstacles to get there and to be ready to be fresh to be engaged um right. and to be ready to for, for what's about to happen That's so right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. Well, it's been a pleasure to to have you on and to talk through uh, just a few chapters of your work. Thank you again for uh, spending some time with us here at Indie Reformed and for reflecting on this uh, great uh, topic of what happens when we worship and uh, for your for, uh, helpful uh, comments. I've really appreciate, uh, appreciated the time with you.
1: My pleasure, Austin. Thank you so much for uh, having me on.
0: Yeah, great. Well, we'll uh, be in touch and, and hope to uh, talk to you soon
1: sounds
0: good. I do hope you enjoy the conversation with Pastor Cruz on the important topic of worship. If you are interested in learning more, I would highly recommend you picking up a copy of his book, What Happens When We Worship. You can find that for a competitive price at Reformation Heritage Books. That's the, the, the cheapest place I've been able to find the work. So pick up a copy and continue reading through his defense for a biblical understanding of corporate worship. And wanted to remind you before we depart of some of the ways that you can support Indy Reformed Church plants. Uh, please continue joining us in prayer. Um, It does look like we have secured a public meeting place and we will begin morning services on August 29th. So we're rejoicing, praising the Lord for His direction and clarity as we've been seeking for a public meeting location. So we're thankful to that end. Uh, You can also please continue to make the work known through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and interact with us uh, via email or um, on uh, social media as well. And also, want to remind you that we are now um, with the capacity to be able to, or we now have the capacity to be able to accept financial support. So if you would like to partner with Indie Reformed Church Plant by way of supporting us financially, you can go to the website indiereformed.org, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you will find the details of how you can submit that financial support. And again, thank you for your consideration in that regard. Uh, we together are trusting the Lord for our future provisions and thanking him for the ways in which we together have grown as a group thus far and trusting that he will continue to grow us by his spirit as we look forward to what he has for our future hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next time